Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, hello, everybody. Hey, welcome to podcast once again. How is your new year going? Has one of your new year's goals been to get a new job, a new career? I know that's one of my goals. <laughs> This is definitely one of my goals for the year, and I'm excited to have Dinah Alt on the show today. I've told you about her last week. She is a career coach, and she's been helping me out with my resume and my LinkedIn profile and looking for opportunities that would fit my skills and strength. But what does that have to do with domestic violence and abuse and trauma? I'm glad that you asked. Well, I know that a lot of people that are in an abusive situation. The reason why they don't leave is because they don't have a job. They don't have a way of supporting their kids or even themselves. And they are afraid to make that leap to get a new life, to leave their abuser. They have nowhere to start. Let's say you've been a stay-at-home mom for most of your adult life. You've never been to an interview. You don't know how to fill out a job application online. Maybe you have some skills, but you have no clue what kind of skills would that translate to in the working world. So I think you're going to really get a lot out of this episode. Diana is excellent. She's professional. She is a great conversationalist. She knows her stuff. And we're going to have a lot of value today on the podcast. Even if you're not in that stage where you're trying to leave, sure you'll stick around for some valuable advice for maybe it's time to move on to that next job. All right, so today I'm wearing my one of my new shirts that is in my store. If you're on YouTube, you can see uh, I got my DSW shirt on. I'll stand up so you can see it a little better. But yeah, it looks just like the logo on my sign behind me. <laughs> it's embroidered on. And if I had another shirt that was white with the same logo, but um, it's too small now. <laughs> I can't fit into it or just look, it looks too tight for my personal preference. And I also have a t-shirt with the Windsor of the Faithful podcast logo on the front of it. And I didn't bring that into the studio here, but um, I will bring it next time. If you want to support the podcast, this is another way that you can do that. Go on to my store, dswministries.org, and go into the store, and there's all kinds of other stuff. Music, and mentoring, more music, <laughs> voice lessons, and I did mention that I have a new music player on the website, and just click on listen to my music, and you can hear all of the songs, including some of the new ones I've recorded. Let me tell you about Diana Alt and her bio. Diana Alt is a career strategy coach helping people navigate the corporate world and how they fit into it, educate and guide them through the job search and hiring process, and most importantly, take control of their careers, be valued, and get paid. Personally, Diana has been on both sides of the hiring table. She began her corporate 
IT career just before the tech wreck of the early 2000s and had to learn how to compete with people who had 10 plus years of experience but were willing to work for the same amount of pay. After a few years, she became a hiring manager where she learned whoever markets themselves the best gets the job. She also learned that the company with the most success is the one with the best leaders and culture. She now works with individuals and organizations to make work awesome through her coaching, consulting, and training services. Diana's top Clifton strengths are input, learner, intellection, maximizer, and connectedness. Her top weaknesses are tacos <laughs> and Diet Coke. Yes, I think tacos are pretty yummy. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Diana Alt. All right, please welcome Diana Alt to the show. Thanks so much for taking the time out to come on and give us your expertise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Diana. This will be a first. I've been on a number of podcasts, but we'll just be Diana-ing each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the Dianas I know are totally awesome, so. Hey, of course we are. It comes with the territory. <laughs> I can't remember how we connected. I know we have some friends in common. Like Terry Weaver, the great. There's definitely a couple of speaker groups on Facebook. I remember most it being Terry, though. I think you requested me because you figured we were um, common friends on Facebook. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've been following your Facebook and getting your emails. And so when I started having trouble with my job, then I decided, you know, I really need some help. I'm like over my head. I've been working with you the last few months and I thought it would be a great idea to have you on the podcast to help our survivors. And we were talking before the show that when somebody's in a domestic violence situation and they want to get out, a lot of them cannot get out or they have nowhere to go because they have no way to support their, their family their kids, yeah. or even themselves. Yeah. I was really fortunate that I had job skills when I left my abuser, even though it was it was still really hard to start over. I, uh, I had a job and I had, had something to market myself with. I know you said you are not a abuse survivor. That is correct. Right. I so. have a couple of very close friends that have dealt with abuse, primarily psychological, emotional abuse, which all of it jacks you up. It's all a mess. So I've had some people close to me that were in the exact situation where they just were not sure how they would start. So including one of my very closest friends since elementary school mm. that went through that a few years ago. We've never been through it exactly the way a lot of your audience has, but I have a deep appreciation for that scenario. Yeah. I uh, rarely have people on the show that are not abuse survivors and industry experts in abuse. You're one of the very few because of your awesomeness to come on the show. I think it would really be helpful to give them some tools to give them hope to get out of their situation or maybe they're not in a abuse situation anymore, but hey, you know, it's time for a career change. I really like to make some more money. <laughs> Yeah, some of it is. Uh, one of my friends that's dealt with this, dealt with an abusive situation in the past, she she took that job that was just enough to get her out and get her child out and all of that stuff. 
but now she's starting to look towards, okay, I have better skills than this. Mm -hmm. I am running circles around the people that I work for. What is next for me? So, you know, this, the conversation about progressing your career and how to go find a job, it's one that I believe everybody should keep tabs on all the way through their working life, no matter what their situation, because you never know when your family circumstance is going to change. You never know when you're just going to um, have a boss change and your wonderful boss suddenly is replaced by someone that is micromanager or jerk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I'm a big believer that job security for most people is overrated. Now, in the short haul, especially for folks that are in the situation your abuse survivors are in, it's like, I just, I need something that's going to last for at least a few months or a year, just so I can get my legs under me. That kind of job security, I can completely understand pursuing, but we never know when our company is going to merge, whenever our, you know, like I said, we get a jerk boss, something's happening with a family member's health. So I believe in thinking about career longevity or career security, always be learning. And even if you're not planning to look for a job anytime soon, be thinking about who can I maintain relationships with in my professional network or, you know, can I update my resume once a year so that if the poop hits the fan, I can go ahead and be ready mm -hmm. for what's in front of me. So. Exactly. I've been working on my networking skills and Jordan Harbinger has this, has this course that's free that I've been teaching. And he says, you dig the well before you're thirsty. Yes, I love that. Can you send me a link to that? That would be a great. I will. I, he's one of those podcasts I, I listen to all the time. He's yeah. he's amazing on his topic. But yeah, networking is super important, and having that mindset of there's no such thing as job security anymore. You're not going to have 30 years in a company anymore and retire with a pension. And then my listeners know that my husband has been sick the last year and a half and lost his job. And so now I was like panicking. Like, I don't have enough money to pay the mortgage now because we're on one income. So perfect example, right? So what is your background for the listeners who don't know you? How did you become a career coach? I often joke and say that I'm a coach because I don't know how to not be a coach. <laughs> but my background is since I graduated from college back in 1998, I got my master's degree in engineering management. I went into the IT sector, um, IT consulting, and I happened to do that right when the internet crash of the early 2000s was happening. So I had about two good years in my career. Mm. I got some good experience as a consultant, but I was actually working at a company that was on the front end of layoffs whenever all the internet bust happened back in around 2000, 2001. So I found myself laid off um, with two years of work experience and I was up against people with like 10 years of work experience that would work for the same money. And so that's like very early in my career. I found a job pretty quick. And then seven months later, I got laid off again. So really early in my career. Yeah, it was brutal. Really early in my career, I figured out, oh my gosh, I have got to make sure that I'm always staying sharp, that I'm always staying in contact with people. And ever since then, I got a, I got a permanent full-time job. 
in 2002, after a few contract gigs and a few months where I didn't have work at all, moved to Kansas City and I had that full-time job for five years, which was great because I was able to get my legs under me and kind of establish my savings and establish a lot of really killer experience. And ever since just a couple of years after that move, I've always been able to help others with their resume skills, their interviewing skills. I've always been a pretty good networker and connector. And so I just started helping people for free. I was in some professional organizations related to business analysis, which was the focus of my career at that time. And I also, um, in 2004, took my first management job. So I had a responsibility to the people that worked for me to help them understand what they wanted with their career and how to develop it, whether it was to stay on my team or with my company or not, I had that responsibility. So from, you know, early 2000s, I already had started helping people. And then I just started doing it more and more and more. And then finally realized, oh my gosh, this is a thing people pay money for. <laughs> so <laughs> I started taking on a couple of clients and about eight years ago or so, I think. And so I side hustled and had a couple, you know, two or three clients a year that I would work with until I finally decided to make the leap and leave corporate. And now I do consulting for leadership and team effectiveness and business strategy with some small businesses in my area. I live in the Kansas City area and I also work one-on-one -on -one with people and I'm starting to develop group programs and um, digital courses so that it's more economical to get my knowledge out into the world. So that's kind of my background. And I, I love it. I, like I said, I don't know how to not help people with this stuff. I've been in some really difficult work situations. I was subject to bullying for almost mm. years in one job, um, which was horrific. It had just, it made me feel stupid and it made me feel like I wasn't worth anything. And like my master's degree and my umpteen years of experience were nothing. And that's maybe not anywhere near the way that your audience suffers, but it was one of the worst things I'd been through. And I just want people to feel like they know their worth and they have the skills and the confidence to go look for a new job at any time that they might happen to need one. Yeah. That bullying situation I've been bullied before at work and it's it's Awful. horrible like what yeah. are we in junior high again is this seventh grade yeah. right class what the heck but it happens all the time because bullies some get eliminated like some people grow up and they grow out of that but a lot of them don't sound it's actually more manipulative you know, a lot of times it is people that are in the workplace telling you that you, you know, you should do whatever, you should work all the overtime. And for me, I was always salary. So I was constantly working extra mm -hmm. hours because of bullies that withheld information, made my job harder, that kind of stuff in this one particular job. And then they tell you, well, you should just consider yourself lucky to have a job at all. Like, right. That's what they me, say. The reason I think about career security so much and always knowing your skills, being willing to invest time and energy and money if you've got it and sharpening your skills, all of those things help you to not be subject to that jerk at work that says you should be lucky to have a job because you know that you can go get another one if you really need to, or if you decide that it's just time. <clears throat> yeah, because I was feeling trapped because of the bullying yeah. I had to have that job and it made a lot of money 
And the fact that I couldn't find a job right away, had to put up with that for a long time. Yeah, we need to know what our worth is for sure. We've got a lot. kinds of worth, really. There's the kind of worth that's like, what are my skills? What is my experience? What, like, what does that pay right now? And then there's also the worth that's just that basic human dignity that says, I am standing up for not being treated like this anymore. So mm-hmm. that those are two different aspects of it. And I know a lot of people that are very highly skilled and make good money. You know, they make six figures doing things, but they are in a terrible situation and they've just been beat down. And so that second kind of worth that I shouldn't have to feel like this every single day when I go to work that they and they end up losing sight of that and that just that that's what a lot of my clients deal with some people especially if they're more entry level in their career they think oh well if you make x amount of money you don't have problems you're you're not going to have trouble at work and sometimes the problems get get worse actually so because the stakes feel higher and there's fewer jobs that are kind of up at those higher levels of management or income. Yeah, and kind of related to bullying, I had a supervisor in my old department. His previous job, he was fired for sexual harassment and then nobody checked his record. And so he's on my team as my supervisor and he got accused of sexual harassment again, a couple of the ladies on the team. And, you know, he kind of disappeared. But that's another related thing is, sexual harassment is really common in some circles and it makes you feel powerless. Yeah. I have not been a a victim of sexual harassment in the traditional sense. You know, someone expecting to exchange sexual favors in, you know, for continued employment or advancement or anything like that. I have dealt with people not taking me as seriously because I'm a woman. Right. And that piece for me it actually is probably better than a lot of people because I, I work in tech. I have a lot of uh, very assertive masculine energy. So sometimes I, I honestly have more trouble with women on the job than I do with men mm-hmm. whenever I'm working in a corporate setting. But um, knowing that that was a likely thing for me and then also learning about um, how to work with men and women and turn them into trusted colleagues and advisors and mentors was really important for me. And learning the importance of negotiating compensation was important because I, I was probably 25 years old when I first learned that men are much more likely to negotiate their salary whenever they're given an offer than women are. And I decided, and then the, you know, there's economic studies that show how much impact that has on gender wage gap. And I was like, well, you know, I can control that. I can't control everything, but I can control whether I know what my skills are worth and whether I have the nerve to ask for more money. So those are some things I worked on early. Wow. So is it possible to start over again after so many years of not working or not having any outside job experience? We have a lot of, you know, stay-at-home moms listening. Yes, you can. The short answer is absolutely, yes, you can. Um, It may look a little different than you would like, and there's very often a little bit of a slow start or some temp work. I'll get into some of that. But stay-at-home moms actually have a lot more 
personal attributes and transferable skills than they sometimes realize. And if you're a stay-at-home mom that's trying to work a plan to leave a domestic abuse situation, you know, sometimes you just, I'm in danger, I have to go, you know, I'm done now. And sometimes people will think about how to exit for a while. At least that's been my experience with one of my friends that left her abusive husband. But you can start over. And the top thing that I like for people to do whenever they start over is to think about their own network of people and who are some stay-at-home moms if, that went back to work. So if you're associated mm. with the church or if your kid is, you know, at school and maybe one of the moms in their class went back to work or something like that, but try to think through who are some of those people that have walked that path before and do your best to get to know them. Um, and have them tell you, what did you do before? You know, what were you doing for a job before you stayed at home for 10 years? And how did you refresh your skills? And how did you proceed with that? Having someone that's actually walked through that path is really, really helpful. I haven't walked through that path. So in my coaching practice, I've worked with a few people that are in that scenario because um, they wanted to work with me, but I would not say I'm a specialist in that. However, mm -hmm. One thing that I love to make sure people know, this is critically important to know, no matter whether you are a stay-at-home mom or not, is that it doesn't have to be paid work to count as relevant experience. Students mm. go through this a lot, stay-at-home moms go through this a lot, and also people that want to transition careers go through thinking about this a lot. So, um, for example... I know a lot of people who have been stay-at-home moms, but maybe they volunteered at their church. So they threw, you know, the annual church rummage sale. They were responsible for organizing the mission trip. A lot of times it's the stay-at-home moms that get those jobs because they're big and they take time. Every single one of those can involve managing a budget, recruiting volunteers, project management skills to figure out what are all the deadlines in order to achieve the goal, coordinating other people, potentially marketing to come up with, oh, here's the emails I'm going to send. This is the social media stuff that I'm going to do. Those things that you do in order to organize the mission trip or the bake sale or whatever, all of them are skills that are used in marketing departments or project management teams or other teams in the workforce. So, when you are faced with a situation where you're like, I haven't been paid for work for 10 years, think about what you've done to volunteer. Another really great example that I always tell people is if you've ever been a Girl Scout cookie mom yeah. or Boy Scout popcorn <laughs> fundraiser, those are major things. They drive most of the revenue for mm -hmm. whatever that scout troop is. You have to organize children and parents all of whom are on a volunteer basis and the deadlines are fixed. And if you can go through and manage to be co-chair of the Girl Scout cookie committee for your troop, that has amazing skills that you can translate into a resume, into interviews and show I can get stuff done and I can get it done on time and I can work with all different types of people. That is awesome, and I totally agree with that. Or Scouts in general has changed a lot since I was a kid and I was a Girl Scout. I mean, yeah. I sold cookies, and all I did was, you know, back in those days, you could knock on doors, the whole neighborhood, and you'd, you'd, you'd fill the 
sign-up sheet. And then you'd hand the sign-up sheet to your dad who would take it to their job. Oh, my <laughs> parents didn't do that. My parents did not do that. My parents like, did Your fundraiser, you're selling. Now, there were times when we had like parent-teacher conference during cookie sales and my dad would take me to work and he would let me ask, but there was no, and I have a strict rule that the kids have to, they have to ask me. I don't care if it's a video text message on the phone. Like if you had a child that was a little brownie and she sent me a little video and you messaged it to me on your phone, I'll buy cookies from that girl all day. But when you're the cookie mom, you're responsible for the inventory. And I don't know if shipping is a thing with some of the new online stuff. I know a lot has changed with COVID, but just managing what is the goal for the troop? How do we break down that goal and suggest targets to each of the families and remind them of all the deadlines? Even if you never have to touch a box of cookies, there's a lot that you're organizing if you're the, you know, one of the people leading the cookie deal in a troop. So... I hope that helps. That's super awesome advice. Um, so now we get to the confidence part in ourselves to get out there. Um, I know you talk a lot about, what's that word? Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yes. How do you okay. get over that? <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay, so imposter syndrome, quick definition for people in, in listening. Imposter syndrome is that weird feeling that you're a fraud. Like when you try to go do something, you're not good enough to do it. Who are you to be the person that tries to apply for XYZ job or um, feeling like the only reason that people say nice things to you is because they're nice people, not because you did good work. All of those kinds of feelings. Like um, I've heard it best summed up in you can't own your own success. And it does undermine confidence a lot. So a couple of things that I like to keep in mind, I heard a really great quote when I was listening to another podcast today. I was listening to the Tim Ferriss show. And the guest that he had on there said, action leads to mood. Like mood is set by action. So if you take action and have little wins for yourself, that's one of the top ways to start building a little bit of confidence. Now, when you're starting from scratch, one of the things I love to tell my imposter syndrome sufferers to do is to make um, basically a success list. So write down everything that you've ever accomplished that you can think of. Just brainstorm it out for 10 or 15 minutes. And I have a slide. I do a talk on this sometimes. And I have a slide where I list everything back to like winning the sixth grade spelling bee. Like I have, I got a degree. I won spelling bee. I've had the same best friend since I was seven years old. So I have academic and work accolades and personal things like running a 5k and like all that all smashed together. And if you spend 15 minutes thinking about that, um, it starts to lift your mood a little bit and you can start to uncover some things to dig into for qualifications. So if you did that brainstorming exercise and said, well, I organized the bake sale at church for three years in a row. And I also, you know, I directed um, a play at community theater a couple of years ago. Like those achievements, you can start digging into them to see if you have skills um, that you can talk about. But just writing down that piece of paper that tells you that you've done some stuff and you can accomplish things it's a really good counter to when your own brain is being a jerk to you saying you're not good enough. And if you are in an, a relationship with a spouse that wants to tell you that you're not good enough. 
Oh yeah, good point. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, so yeah, if you're if you're if your spouse is telling you that you're worthless and you don't amount to anything and you can't do anything, but you have children that are as kind as they can be, and you have this list of stuff that you've done all throughout your life, who's right? Yeah. Who's right? The guy that's trying to control you or the woman that's trying to control you or you with your 2.3 kids and your wife who are good humans and your list of, I got a degree, I contributed to society in this way, I won the 5K, I led this, I organized the garage, like everything that you can think of that, that you've done that was positive, you have evidence in front of you to counter this your worthless thing mm. that you might be getting told like I said by yourself or by someone else you've done a uh, webinar with a community college so yeah I mean you have a link to it as well mm -hmm. so if people want to email you or me and just ask for a link to that imposter syndrome presentation we'll send it to we'll make sure that you get it yeah that's really good and you spend you spent, what, an hour and a half or something? Yeah, I spent an hour talking through it. And it's largely in the context of professional stuff, but, you know, the principles apply even if you're trying to meet some personal goals. Right. It's very valuable content. So you also have a course and a webinar about how to form a resume. I do. Yes. So how do you do that with no job history? First off, I have a soup to nut, very in-depth course called How to Rock Your Resume. Um, it's in a beta right now. I did it as a live workshop with a bunch of people back in December, had great feedback from it. And so if, uh, if you go to howtorockyourresume.com, you will see um, the page where you can buy this thing. It has my six-step framework to build your resume from scratch. It works for everybody from students all the way up to executives. And so a lot of what you do is you first start with what are some jobs that I would want to target? So for example, a lot of times people will think, oh, I might want to work like as an administrative assistant. I know I can organize stuff because I organized a home. You know, like if I, can keep, if I can keep people fed and clothed and the bills paid, I have some administrative skills. So they might look at administrative or, you know, customer service or things like that. It doesn't have to be like the fancy CEO job, but go and find a few positions that you think you're interested in, a couple of job descriptions for each of those, and then sort of set your intention of, okay, this is the main one or two jobs that I'm going to go after. And then you start looking at what are the skills and experience that they want. So some of the things, you know, they may say in the job description, oh, five years of experience working at an insurance company, blah, blah, blah. You know, you might not be ready and able to go for the job with five years of experience, but it can start getting your brain going to think about what have I done in other jobs or in some of those volunteer activities or at home, things with my kids' school, all that kind of stuff. So your next step after you've targeted and said, I think I want to chase this kind of job is to brain dump everything. So brain dump your education, brain dump the tasks that you did, the duties that you performed and the results you did as the Girl Scout cookie mom or the bake sale chair or whatever that is um, and get it all out of your head on paper. It has some similarities to that exercise I just said to help fight imposter syndrome. 
but it's just a little bit more detailed. And in my mini course, I talk through every single category I could think of, community activities, work activities, church activities, schooling, extra training. If you took a class online through LinkedIn Learning, everything, just write all of it down. And then from there, we go into what's called curating and that's where you make yourself look good. So for a target job description, you go through and say, okay, I got five pages of stuff. I did all kinds of things in my life. You start narrowing down what are the things that are the most relevant for this job that I want to go for. So if you worked at McDonald's when you were 16 and now you want to apply to be an assistant manager at a McDonald's because you spent a lot of time working for McDonald's, you know, five years ago, that might be a match. You might be able to go put that on there. But if you don't have any interest in working in fast food, you can take that old job off. So you go look through what is relevant to the types of jobs that I want. Now, when you're a stay-at-home mom, that feels tricky because you're, you're thinking, well, these job postings say it has to be from a job. That's when you start thinking a little more creatively. So if a job posting says, I need someone that we need someone that has experience um, with customer service and talking to clients, well, maybe you had to deal with the members of your church that you had to work with whenever they were buying stuff at the rummage sale you have customer service experience, you just didn't get paid for it. So you start thinking, hmm, what's the closest thing I have that's like this? And then you move on from there. Um, and then you start to figure out, okay, this is the things that are important. And this is how I talk about it. So a big mistake that people make on their resumes, and I mean to tell you, everybody from like high school students all the way up to the C-suite, chief operating officer I had as a client, and he made this mistake. They just list tasks. They just say, I, <laughs> Diana, you and I worked on this for you. Yeah. <laughs> they just say, oh, I updated the customer database. Oh, I um, printed out, you know, I ran the reports every week. Oh, I ran the cash register. So you want to start thinking about why did it matter that I was there? What why did Diana or Mary Sue or Joe or Mike, why is it that your work helped the team? And so you do that by thinking about metrics and results. Sometimes you can get a number that's specific, especially people that work in sales or customer service. They can do that a lot. Sometimes you have to guess a little bit, you know, or you have to try to remember what you did a few years ago. But an example that I go over in my resume class is there's a, uh, it's one for a, a client who honestly has dealt with a less than stellar spouse, like very much relates to a lot of what your audience is going through. She, ha she is in sort of a tech and customer support role at her company. And she had a line on her resume that said, implemented new um, onboarding process, new hire onboarding process. And when I went through it with her, I asked her questions like, how many people did you onboard? Why did you guys decide to do this project to make a new process? Um, what was the result? And come to find out, 25 people a quarter went through this process. They started it because the tech support desk was getting overwhelmed with questions because they'd like hand a new employee a computer and not tell them anything about how to do stuff. 
or the computer would be late, wouldn't have all the programs that they need, all that kind of stuff. And the result was that they had 75% less help desk tickets after they put this process in place because everybody knew what to do, the computers were correct whenever, the new employees started, all this stuff. That is a big deal. So there's a big difference between saying, I implemented a new onboarding process and saying, I created and implemented a new hire onboarding process that was used by approximately 25 people per quarter and reduced service tickets by 75%. That's a story. So try to go through and look. So if you're the Girl Scout cookie mom, organized all aspects of Girl Scout cookie sales for three cookie seasons for a troop of 15 Girl Scouts, and we sold 5,000 boxes, and we broke our goal, you know, we met our goal and exceeded it by 10%, our sales goal. You did a thing that was cool. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of thing. And I walk through all of that. Once you're done with curating, you have what I call a baseline resume. Oh, actually, hang on. You have to format then. So I have all kinds of, you know, should you use a fancy template? You know, what font should you use? How should you lay this out? How long should it be? Your resume can be usually one or two pages long. You don't have to have it be 10 miles long, but you don't have to feel like it all has to fit on one page. And so you want to make sure that it's formatted to be readable and understandable by HR. And once you've gone through all the, those four steps, proofread it and reviewed it, you have what I call a baseline resume. So if you're trying to apply for administrative assistant job, you've gone through all those five steps, you've proofread it, you can apply for a job. And then what I have people do for each application is what I call my 10 minute tailoring process, where you just go through and you look at, oh, I wanna make sure I exactly match the job name at the top of my resume and do a few other little tweaks before you submit an individual application and then it'll get people's resume get attention and eyeballs on your resume. So really this approach, I used it personally. I developed it um, initially because I was looking for work whenever my industry was just in the toilet. You know, I had so much competition mm -hmm. for the job. And then over time, I learned more and more about resumes and kept refining it. And so I'm telling you, you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, if you got, if you don't have a job, you have no chance of getting another job. If you got fired from your job, you'll have to take a pay cut. I used this after layoffs two or three times, basically the same process that I'm now having in my course. And every single time I got a raise. So even if I was out of work when I applied, I still managed to get a raise. Um, it may be a little different depending on the industry that you're in and your prior experience, but um, even so, other people I've worked with that weren't in tech where I was, and there's so many more jobs, it feels like a lot of the time, they said the phone rang. They said that they got called by more, um, more HR reps, and these are the things that recruiters and hiring managers tell me that they want. So that's like a lot about the resume stuff, but it is totally doable. The course that I have is $59, so I've tried to make it really affordable for people. Other people will sell it for like three or $400, the same kind of thing. I did not want to do that. I wanted it to be accessible to as many people as possible, so. Yeah, and I was one of the people on your beta group, and 
just going through that process was eye-opening. It really helped like, hey, I've got all these valuable skills that I can present to the employer and just the format of the resume. Just changing that format was interesting too. Um, a video that I, I did a review for your course. Yeah, so put it in the show notes. So yeah, and I did I did just the course is available now. And then I also have I know we're kind of jumping this usually people talk about this at the end, but <laughs> I do one on one coaching with people too. And I also do have a service where if someone is not quite ready to do one-on-one -on -one coaching, either for time or budget reasons, if they take my course and then they write their new resume, I also offer a fairly inexpensive review where I go top to bottom making recommendations and I send you a recorded video back so that you can go through and fix everything. So those are some things that for someone that's worried about spending a lot of money on trying to find a job, but they also know they need help. It's good things for them. And it also, you know, you don't, all you know about me is that I worked with Diana. So <laughs> it's a fairly low risk way to get some help too. Yeah. You can look at my before and after resume. If you want, I'll send it to you guys. Was, um, you had a pretty good transformation on your resume for sure. Um, whenever we work together on that. So. Yeah. It looked definitely different. Put the reviews that I created on my YouTube and put the links in there. And yeah, the one thing I like about you is you're not some pushy salesman just trying to sell stuff. Yeah. You, when we talked about what I needed, you customized everything for what I needed instead of, well, here it is. And that's all you get. Uh, that'll be $5,000, please. <laughs> I mean, if someone wants to pay me $5,000, I'm not going to turn yeah. it down. But I tried to meet you where you were at. And the farther I go in this, the more I'm realizing that I want to serve more people. And I love working with people that are executives and leaders and stuff like that. It's, I enjoy that, but not everybody is in that situation. So I've created some things for people that don't, don't necessarily fit that profile, but they still need help because there's a lot of really terrible resume advice out there. If you go just trying to look on LinkedIn at what to do, Oh, it's overwhelming. It's all, you know, there's, you have to read 50 posts to, from one person to figure out what it is. And just having it all together is something I wanted to do. And one thing um, maybe you have something to say about is references. How, how would references, or we worked a lot on my LinkedIn page because uh, it was kind of dormant. <laughs> yeah. How, how would references come into play? Would you think those are valuable, right? So I do think references are valuable. Um, different. What's very interesting trend is that a lot of companies have started to recognize that people don't submit references that say bad things about them. So some companies have actually stopped checking references for certain roles. Um, but that's not to say you shouldn't have some handy. So what I really like to do is try to find three to four people that will speak positively about you, about your professional skills. Now, maybe you've worked with them, maybe you haven't, but let me talk to you about who those people are. Um, one is a former boss uh, or supervisor. And if you are in that situation where perhaps you were 
you know, you're relying on church volunteer activities, for example. If you don't have a boss that you can call because you haven't worked for 10 years, the person that is on the ministry staff that's in charge of those fundraisers or somebody else in the church leadership that has responsibility for that particular activity that you worked on, that's the person that you would go get to serve as your boss kind of resume. The next kind of person that you want is a peer, ideally a peer working with similar skills of what you're trying to get a job for. So if you're looking for a customer service job and you were on a committee with somebody for the bake sale or the Girl Scout cookies that you partnered with to make stuff happen, they saw how well you organized things. They saw how good of a team teammate that you were and that person can be your peer reference. And of course, if you had a job recently and you can get a hold of a peer from that, you know, even better, but you can substitute in that person that you did legitimate work in your volunteer life for that peer. The next kind of person is a client. And so this is great because a lot of times people that are stay-at-home moms in particular, heck, everybody has a side hustle now, right? Yeah, an MLM. Or everybody something. has a side hustle, which means everybody has clients of some sort. And so if you have had a job that you want to leave and you have clients that you work for, which could be either someone that works in a different department at your company. So they, you know, you're in accounting and they're in sales or you're in accounting and they're in IT, something like that. That could be a client relationship if you had to work together cross-functionally. If you don't have an example like that from your work, then maybe one of the parents that if you were the if you're leaning on your girl scout troop experience one of the parents of a child that's in your troop that's someone that you could use as your client because they're not on your team um, but they were impacted by your work and then the last one for people that are going to apply for management type positions you would want to include someone that reported to you so again at work you know, if you had direct reports, that's pretty easy. Which one did you have a good relationship with? Awesome. Go get a reference from that person. But if you don't have that situation or you can't get a hold of that person, but you were a committee head in some sort of volunteer activity, why you can go and get someone that served under you on that committee and have them be a reference. So that's how you can Fill out your proper references from either of those um, scenarios. I've had a, a job recently or I haven't had a job recently. Wow, this content is gold. And I do want to continue our conversation with Diana because I don't want to cut out anything to fit a certain time frame. So come back next week we're going to talk about interviews and i'm going to address multi-level marketing and maybe a few other things that we're going to throw into the mix here this is going to help you to have a better life so please invite a friend to listen to the episode as well someone that could really use this information we will see you next week god bless you guys Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.